Honors. May it please the court, my name is Amy Connors and I represent appellant Henry Sturzberg. This is an appeal of the district court's order granting appellee Morrison Sons motion to dismiss. This is a case of first impression as to the effect of a dismissal under 11 U.S.C. section 305 of the bankruptcy code, which allows a bankruptcy court to abstain from exercising jurisdiction. But the basic principles of civil procedure at issue here are quite simple and not new. The question before you is, when a bankruptcy court declines to exercise jurisdiction over an involuntary bankruptcy petition, can an individual harmed by that filing sue for by the petition sue for damages under state common law tort claims in another forum? The answer must be yes. The basic principle. You're saying, you're saying that abstention and uh, and um, preemption are simple, simple and basic principles. That's correct. Uh, I don't think you've studied either of those sufficiently. Neither one is simple. Well, no, they are not simple, but that very complex, and their interrelation is even more complex. Sure, and your honor, the district court. Don't don't understand. Don't start, don't. Don't tell us this is just easy. Well, A, B, C. It's not. Your Honor, the district court didn't even consider the presumption against preemption. And if I'm allowed, I'll, I'll go to why I think abstention hasn't been fully considered to be the, have the preclusive effect that it does here. The basic principle that a court declined. No, yeah. No, I don't think, I don't think abstention is, is critical here. Why, why does, uh, to me, the question is, why does uh, 303I exclusivity apply to deny a non-bankruptcy -bank remedy? When, when 305 is, is beyond the, 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 the scope of 303, how can, how can 303I exclusivity, as, as, defined, you know, as defined by the Ninth Circuit, for example, how can that possibly preempt, if you will, uh, you know, a, a, a claim that, that can't be brought under 305 or under, under 303? Maybe I got it backwards. Yeah, Your Honor, if I, if I may, we don't disagree that 303I damages do not apply here. The district court held that. The bankruptcy court held that. Under 303, those damages under 303I are limited to cases dismissed under 303. The reason why abstention is important here is because the bankruptcy court said, I'm not taking this case. I'm declining jurisdiction. And it cannot be that the bankruptcy court... Abstention, that's just jurisdiction. It is jurisdiction. And in, in the court below, there is no, there is no you don't dispute. You need abstention and you don't need preemption. It's not a bankruptcy case. That's correct. That's correct. It's not a bankruptcy case. And the bankruptcy code cannot then reach into another forum where the bankruptcy co court has not even accepted jurisdiction and foreclose any future claims. The district court even cited the congressional record, which held under Section 305 that the bankruptcy court may decline to exercise jurisdiction, relegating a debtor and its creditors to, quote, the governance of non-bankruptcy law. 
That's what we're dealing with here, and that's what the legislative record says. That is at addendum 13, citing the congressional record from 1977 and 78. But the district court lost sight of this basic principle of civil procedure by improperly elevating 303i. You know, you know the problem with relying on legislative history in this court or any other, any other federal appellate court. Oh, and, and, Your Honor, there is an absence of any legislative history or anything in the statute that I says... You just said I said that, but that says that 303i is an exclusive remedy. There is nothing. The Miles Court recognized that in the Ninth Circuit, and the Rosenberg Court recognized it as well. The district court failed to even apply or consider the presumption of preemption. Gregory versus Ashcroft, the Supreme Court case, requires a federal statute to contain a clear statement of congressional intent to preempt state law. No language appears in 303 or 305, and no language could appear because Congress intended to have basically a, a route for a bankruptcy court to decline does to it, hear a case. Does it matter that the state remedy you're pursuing, in essence, relies on bankruptcy law and a violation of bankruptcy law in order to have its... Uh, uh, to have the claim. No, Your Honor, it doesn't, because my client never had a forum to, the, the bankruptcy court simply said, this is not the appropriate forum, go elsewhere. And the fact that there were issues with the petition, there was a, a, mis, a lie about where Mr. Sturzberg lied in order to get it into Minnesota. He, relies, he resides in Pennsylvania. There were major issues so with So potentially creditors. you can have these claims being tried across the 50 states under various state laws interpreting federal bankruptcy law? No, Your Honor. Bankruptcy law isn't at issue because, really, the, the reason this is so unusual is that it is as if no bankruptcy took place. But the effect of labeling Mr. Sturzberg as a debtor in an involuntary bankruptcy, that was the damage. The, the bankruptcy court stopped the damage by declining jurisdiction, recognizing this should be nowhere near a bankruptcy court. There are so many problems, and the bankruptcy court felt the easiest thing to do was to decline jurisdiction. That does not solve the fact that my client was damaged immensely by having the specter of an involuntary bankruptcy attacking his reputation. Well, but wouldn't the state court have to determine whether it was a proper bankruptcy petition? No, Your Honor, because the, the effect of the damages are on what happened to my client. His credit was frozen. His, he I'm was, yeah. About to prove liability in your state court action that you want to bring, wouldn't you have to prove that there was an improper filing in the bankruptcy action? You would have to prove things like just these jurisdictional Basis. There was a there was a misstatement in the petition itself. You could rely on the bankruptcy court's decision to not accept jurisdiction. I think that is enough. You don't have to challenge the actual petition. It is enough that the bankruptcy court said there are major problems here. This doesn't smell right. There are issues here. This is a bankruptcy law firm. An abstention by the bankruptcy judge necessarily proves a, a malicious filing. Not necessarily, but you can use her determination. It, it doesn't need to be another 
uh, court determining whether there was a proper filing under the bankruptcy code. What and you just said is that, the, that what the bankruptcy judge said in those comments is relevant, admissible, and probative, and maybe controlling evidence in your state court case you want to have. Your Honor, the, the state court claims regard malicious prosecution and abusive process. Those are things that the state courts govern. There is always, always a remedy. Of course, this isn't going to be in state court. A federal court. But these are state court claims that a federal court or another forum can look at. And those, those claims are not limited to bankruptcy uh, court. Of course not. Right. The question is, what does it take to prove abusive process in the bankruptcy court? For liability purposes, not for damages. That's right. And here... What you just said is, well, look what the bankruptcy judge said. That's going to establish abusive process and bad faith and so forth, which tells me that's going to be your evidence in the, in the diversity estate law. But, the, but there is no, Your Honor... Well, that's what you said, isn't it? That is what I said, but that is not the, what, the, the, so all that is gonna, needed. So how are you going to prove it? By showing that Mr. Sersberg was a resident of Pennsylvania and the petition listed him as a resident of Minnesota. By showing... What's that going to get you? An abusive process. That is a law firm knowingly lying in a pleading so they can get a favorable forum, knowing that it would, it would harm their client. The district court erred here when it held that Section 303I is an exclusive remedy that preempts all state law claims from the allegedly wrongful commencement of an involuntary bankruptcy. The, the, the district court didn't even consider the presumption against preemption. By its own language, the damages available under Section 303I are limited to petitions that are dismissed under that section. 303 does, simply does not apply to cases where the court declines to exercise jurisdiction. And your leading authority for that assertion? Well, both the district court and the bankruptcy court and... and Have you got another court somewhere that has just held what you asserted? That, that 303 doesn't apply to 305? Well, you know, you said it much more broadly than that. I said 303 simply does not apply to cases where the court declines to exercise jurisdiction under 305. We know this and, because... And I asked you for, okay. a, for a controlling, uh, for a supporting authority. Sure. It's at addendum 6 and 7. Uh, the bankruptcy court explained it would be inconsistent to decline to exercise... No, 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 that's not telling me authority. Can you answer the question? Then you can go back to arguing. If you, go, if you say I don't have a case, then you can go on with your argument. The, the case that... that the Ninth Circuit line of cases... I'm not saying this was a case of first impression. It is. And then you just made an assertion which would suggest it's not. And so I said, okay, now give me authority for the second assertion. The assertion that 305 does, 303 doesn't apply to 305 is in the, the notes to 303 itself, which says it doesn't apply. It is in cases... But that wasn't, that, that wasn't the narrow assertion you made. The reason that it doesn't apply, that, that is the assertion I'm attempting to make. So the reason it doesn't apply is that there is no mention of 303 in the statute 305. No mention. It cannot be that someone can waive their rights under 303 
without any opportunity to be made aware that they are waiving such rights. Well, you, you, there was a waiver of rights under 303 by proceeding under 305. No, that is not the case. The court declined jurisdiction. It made no decision on the merits. There was no knowing waiver by Mr. Sturzberg. Well, and did he consent to the 305 abstention? Did he choose that versus seeking a dismissal under 303? He did, but that is akin to mitigating damages. The court saying, I'm going to end this now and seal the record, and it is as if this petition didn't happen, was a decision he should not be punished for. All that did was mitigate his damages. It didn't change the fact that from now into the future, he will have to answer that he has a bankruptcy filing to his name. He's a financial professional. This has repercussions throughout his career. But he had the option to proceed under 303 and seek damages under 303i. But if he had done that, he would have had to notify his creditors. That is, there is not a, no court, no court cases, and nor does the code say you can either go 303 or 305. To my mind, say that again. no court decisions, nor does the code itself say you have two options, 303 or 305. 305. So what? He chose not to do the 303. Right. You claim he had, he had, good, but, he had good, uh, good reason to make that decision. Fine, it was still voluntary. Well, it was the court's decision. It wasn't, there was nothing on the merits decided. No, no, so no he, couldn't he have proceeded under 303? That's a, well, he could have, but it would have immensely damaged him. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't those damages, though, be recoverable? Only if it were dismissed under 303. But the court has many other options other than 303. And that is why uh, the Paradise Hotel case is important, because it recognizes that there are scenarios that are alternatives to deciding a case under 303. The Third Circuit there held that when in those scenarios, it is possible to recover damages under state court claims where an alternative was used. And, Your Honors, my time is running low, and I'd like to reserve the balance. No, yeah, go ahead. No. Okay. You, what, you, you just made a reference to what state court case is holding what? This isn't a state court case. The Paradise, Paradise Hotel case is a Third Circuit case. It's a Third Circuit case. Yes. They're, dis they're distinguishable readily. And in that case, no, it is it's similar because they the putative debtor there. Well, they may have had one fat, fat feature that was similar. They converted and used a method other than 303, and that is the case here as well. But I, I'm still back to your assertion. Your, your, go back to that assertion you made that I said, what's your authority? Where you conceded that when you tried to restate it, you narrowed it. I wasn't intending to narrow it. I said Section 303 does not apply to cases where the court declines to exercise jurisdiction under 305. That is the statutory language. 303 does not apply to cases that are dismissed under 305. 303, the preamble to that statute, is limited to cases dismissed under 303. The nature of the statute itself limits it. All of the cases cited by Apelli and the district court have to do with preemption under 303. This is not a 303 case. Your Honors, my time has ended. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Connors. Thank you. Mr. Nastrum.
Thank you, Your Honors. Uh, my name is Eric Nastrom. I am an attorney at the Appellee Morrison Sund, and I am here representing it today. Your Honor, Your Honors, this court should uphold the district court's decision in all respects regarding the preemption of Mr. Sturzberg's state law claims that were attempted to be brought in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. Your Honors, I just heard counsel say that there is no such thing as 303I remedies when there is a dismissal of an involuntary bankruptcy petition under Section 305 of the Bankruptcy Code. While she is correct that there is authority to that effect stating that if a, or if a bankruptcy court abstains from exercising jurisdiction, that it therefore can't uh, apply 303I remedies. However, that is not what the, uh, Mr. Sturzberg argued before the bankruptcy court on June 10th, 2020. In fact, and this, that action followed the dismissal, the, the dismissal. Well, we're not bound by how lawyers argued it in, in the district court. If it's an issue of law. That's, that's correct, Your Honor. Novo review of what the district court did. Correct. Your Honor, however, it, not just the, the, the district court in this case specifically said that the analysis of Mr. Sturzberg's counsel with respect to the inability to pursue 303I remedies when there is a dismissal under 305, the district court specifically rejected that analysis at page 9 of its opinion. It said this understanding of Section 303 is not correct. Section 303I does not say that a debtor loses his right to seek relief when merely he consents to dismissal. The debtor must also waive the right to judgment under 303I's remedial provisions Sturzberg did not do that. He sought attorney fees and other relief under Section 303I before Judge Sandberg. Following other bankruptcy courts within the Eighth Circuit, Judge Sandberg denied the motion. Regardless, Sturzberg's pursuit of Section 303I relief shows that, at least at best that time, Sturzberg encountered no dilemma. What are you reading from? Page 9 of what? I'm, it's page 9 of the opinion, and I don't think it's... It's Which been, opinion? What opinion? Yeah. Uh, the district court's... You're talking about document 42? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, doc... Um, I'm sorry, I don't know the doc... It is the district... If, yes, I'm sorry, I don't know the... I have the uh, opinion in front of well, me. I'm looking at page 9, and I don't see 303i right. anywhere in page 9. That's why I asked the question. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Your Honor. I was, I was referring to the actual Westlaw... Um, uh, the Westlaw opinion and not the actual uh, addendum, uh, but it is, it would be, no, well, I, I apologize because it is in the opinion and that's, that's a direct quote from it. Um, I am reading from the Westlaw opinion, so I apologize for that. Um, and so it probably the, but the the point the point didn't sound I, the point as stated didn't sound right. Well, it, Your Honor, I, I I quoted from the I quoted from the opinion, and in that opinion, the and at footnote nine in in the the district court's opinion, the the district court also says Sturzberg argues that Section three hundred three I remedies 
are unavailable when a case is dismissed under Section 305. It is true that Judge Sandberg reached that conclusion, but there are cases going the other way. And then the district courts... That's Ninth Circuit. Correct. Cited the in You're rate. saying that you could have been sued under 303I? That's your position? That Sturzberg could have sued you under 303I and recovered damages against you? Yes, or, or at least notwithstanding the 305 dismissal, that 305 dismissal did not bar Sturzberg in the bankruptcy court from pursuing remedies under 303I, or at least, or at minimum. You're saying you would have acknowledged that? No, no. Sued under 303I? We're not acknowledging liability. You would have said you can't sue under 303I because he got dismissed under 305. Well, you're you're right, and actually we we did argue that. So to the extent you're, of course you're, you did. And so now you're telling us no, but that's not really the law. You should say it's the other way. Well, your honor, uh, we we I'm not I'm not too proud to state that we may have been wrong. The district court may have been correct, and in fact, and, and not just with respect to the. Uh, ability of a litigant to seek 303i remedies if there's a dismissal under 305. There is authority going that way, and that's why I spoke of the fact that Mr. Sturzberg's counsel made that very argument because in in bankruptcy court, because the bankruptcy court disagreed. But the, you know, this discussion that's on page 21, it, it doesn't talk about 305. It's talking about 303 case law. Like Rosenberg and Paradise, I guess to some, and the Ninth Circuit a little bit, and all those cases are distinguishable by either who's suing uh, or what what procedures they were invoking. That's why this case is of, of first impression. It, it is all of the authorities that that are just whole gospel in the bankruptcy world uh, don't apply. They're easily distinguishable in this situation. I don't understand why. Um, a 303i um, exclusivity preempts a state law remedy by someone who was kicked out of the bankruptcy world under 305. I just don't understand how you get from A to B. I can I, I know that I know the station your train is leaving, <laughs> but I don't see how it gets to. The bottom line here. Well, Your Honor, I and, and even the the appellant here recognizes and cited to language that the it, its own language were cited to court authority that the vast majority of courts, uh, state courts, federal courts, the, the entire majority of courts have never dealt with this issue. They they have dealt with issues of preemption and the impact of preemption and the broad scope of remedies where, where where is the where is the plain intent of congress um, reflected in the breadth of pre, uh, 303 preemption you're arguing here your honor the preemption it, is very clearly stated and limited in 303i itself your honor th it's true there is no this is not a case of express it has to be uh, I, well, Your Honor, there, there's preemption under... It has to either be expressly stated or, or so clear it's incontestable. Well, Your Honor, there's, there's preemption under a field preemption, as this Court knows. Don't, don't take me through the four levels. It doesn't matter. Well, I, Your Honor, I, I, I appreciate... Now, there isn't field and there isn't complete. Well, there actually, there, it's just exp it's, it's expressed non-preemption. 303 was drafted 
wouldn't the exclusivity if that's what it is was narrowly drafted that's what to me well, that's why this is a hard case well you're in and your honor I, I, I can't yeah, I can't point to language stating that. I can, I can and I have cited to the many other authorities that find, and you don't want me to talk about the field preserve. Well, you know, I, I've, I've spent many years with preemption and bankruptcy and abstention. Uh, I know you can, you can look out. This is a vast audience, and everybody can look out and find a friend or two. <laughs> well, your Honor, being up here always looking for a friend. How, uh, your Honor, I would. Well, <laughs> but tell me why 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 is why should why should these state law claims uh, be barred? Why does it even even if the diversity or state court inevitably is going to have to look into the allegedly uh, alleged abuse of process in bankrupt in the bankruptcy world? How's that going to mess up bankruptcy law? Well, Your Honor, I, and I, you start with the Constitution, which specifically states a section, Article One, Section Eight, Clause Four, uh, authorizes Congress to create a uniform bankruptcy code. But uh, where, where does where's the where's the loss of uniformity? The loss of uniformity, Your Honor, and and this is what other courts have have explained, <clears throat> comes when you have. On the one hand, Section 303I with specific and very broad remedies available to debtors of involuntary petitions. Under the code, within the confines with, of the code. And here we have a bankruptcy judge saying, this ain't a bankruptcy case. This is, this is 305. <clears throat> Under 305, I exercise, I make the decision that this is not a bankruptcy case. So forget the Constitution's ability to make it a bankruptcy case. It isn't. You're, well, Your Honor, but for the filing of the involuntary petition, there would be no cause of action. Right. And well, so therefore... Well, no question, bank, that it, the, the, bankrupt, the bankruptcy code is, is part of the but-for of this dispute. Correct. And, and that, that doesn't tell me it's, it's uh, that the... the constitutional provision you cited has anything to do with this. Your, Your Honor. The bankruptcy court here in an unappealed ruling says this isn't a bankruptcy case. This is not, this is a dispute that is not appropriate for bankruptcy resolution. It, it said that, of course, well, and I'm, I don't want to beat a dead horse because Are you it, saying that's not govern, that's not governing on our panel? Well, it, this case emanated from bankruptcy court at the, the petition. No, no, that wasn't my question. Are you saying that, that what, what Judge Sandborg did in exercising 305 is, is challengeable today by this panel now? Isn't that part of, isn't that part of, the, of the law of the case? No, I, I don't. No, I don't believe it's it's challengeable in the sense that the judge had the did did or did not have the authority. I don't think that's challengeable. No, at, not have the authority. Did it? It did. Yeah, and the authority is not you. You haven't appealed that. No, you didn't appeal that. No, no, we we have not appealed that. So that's 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 a given for us, right? The, the court the court had the bankruptcy the, court with jurisdiction over this dispute declared this is not. This is not a dispute suitable for resolution in bankruptcy. 
But I, I kind of start and end there. Well, I, I don't think I think that the 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 cases, or at least the some of the authority, and what what <clears throat> Judge Tostrud was talking about is well, you'd still have authority to decide whether there are damages emanating from the bankruptcy because 303I remedies do not evaporate simply because there's a dismissal under 305. And, 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 and that's in the court, they even- right, though, Doesn't the lead in to the section say if the court dismisses a petition under this section? Under the, Your Honor, it, it's it, under three hundred three. It's it's Your Honor, I and I, I confess, I I find it to be a confusing What's section. What's confusing about it? It says if the court dismisses the petition under this section, and the section I, is three hundred three. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's the well, and what in the in Ray Mackey? Do you think Justice Scalia would say I don't have to? I, I find that confusing, so I don't have to obey it. Uh, that I, do, I don't. I don't know What's what Justice. What's your theory about why it would apply to a three hundred five? I'm just not understanding. Well, Your Honor, the In Re Mackey opinion goes through the analysis and said and, and dissects and in in. What's the bottom line reason why the, the bottom line three I would apply to a dismissal under the bottom line? I guess the bottom line reason, I guess, would be twofold. Is one, there's an overall policy to allow uh, recovery against. Uh, people, petitioners of involuntary bankruptcy, there's an overall policy that if they do not prevail, that damages, either attorney fees or if it's bad faith, the other remedies should be applied. That's in In Re Mackey. That's kind of the broader principle. The more specific principle is In Re Mackey went through the analysis of that statute and talked about the antecedent qualifiers, and I'm, I'm going to mangle whatever English... <laughs> grammatical explanations they used, but basically what they determined, what In re Mackey Court said, the only way you lose your 303i remedies is A, if you have a consent of all parties and there is a waiver um, by the debtor of the right to pursue remedies. That is, their, that is their analysis of how they interpret the statute, and that is in... Is it possible that when it says dismisses a petition under this section, that means a petition filed under this section? Your Honor, that, that is correct, and I believe that's part of the In re Mackey analysis, is it's almost like a superfluous, because all petitions emanate from, or all petitions are involuntary petitions, and therefore it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And that's, it's... Counsel, would, would you address the presumption against preemption? Uh, it, given the confusing nature of the application of preemption of what flavor you might choose, why wouldn't it be appropriate here to say it's just not clear enough to impose preemption for a state law remedy for abusive process? Well, Your Honor, I think that notwithstanding the lack of express language, we, where, where, and, and regardless of what the district court did or didn't say, it obviously, it cited to many cases and incorporated them by reference that speak to the, all the factors that go into finding preemption, whether it be uh, field pre preemption or in, in this case, conflict preemption. I don't know. Uh, to your point that the court, district court did not state or talk about that presumption, that's correct. I don't see that language in the opinion. However, I don't think that 
I don't think that corrupts or makes the district court's opinion wrong. I think that's almost a, a probably a given, and that's why it goes through the analysis and cites the cases that allow. What's a given? Oh, the, uh, given that there's a presumption against preemption. In other words, that I don't know. The court didn't state it in its opinion. My my position would be is, and I, I can't read the court's mind, but perhaps it was it was it was approaching it as though. Yes, there's this presumption against preemption, but I'm going to identify the reasons in its opinion why preemption does not does not apply here. You 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 keep talking about In Ray Mackey. Do you mean In Ray Miles in the in the Ninth Circuit? Uh, no, Your Honor. In Ray Mackey is the case. In Ray Miles is a case we cited uh, throughout the opinion. In Ray Mackey is an opinion cited in the district court. Um, at footnote nine of the district uh, court's opinion, and that opinion, and that opinion, is what the district court cited. It's when not it even cited in your brief. No, it's it it, it is not cited. It is not cited in our brief. Uh, it is it is cited in the district court's opinion at footnote nine. Thank you, Mr. Nystrom. Uh, Miles, Miles didn't address the presumption, and Miles was two to one. And Miles, in Miles, the plaintiffs had no claim under 303I whatsoever. So that that's so. <clears throat> I, I I just don't see where you. you I, I don't see your answer yet to Judge Colleton's question. Since 303 is limited, and the plain language of 303 limits it to this section. What's, what supports your argument that it applies to a 305 that, dismissal? In your honor, I, that, that discussion is, is in, in Ray Mackey. That's why I was referring to it and the district court's opinion. Um, your honors, I'm out of time and I think so, beyond it. So the, the, BAP, the BAP Ninth Circuit is, is the national law here. Well, we'd, we'd like it to be law here, but no, I think. Or, well, did, so they just talk about the overall policy? They talk about the policy broadly. I still don't see, you know, that gets me back to what's, what's the conflict? What, is, what does this do to harm the bankruptcy world when it's so fact-specific? And, and again, Your Honor, I think I go back to some of the concerns that, that have been expressed in these other opinions, having 50 different cases apply to this Section 303. Isn't that just parading horribles? I mean, how can that happen when this, when this is so unique in order to generate 10 years or more of litigation in at least in the courts of two states? Well, Your Honor, a, a parade of horribles, I think uh, I could address that because some of the other points are is what, what will happen is you'll, you'll encourage forum shopping. And here we have allegations yeah, that... That's what, like, like you did. Well, perhaps, and in fact, we've been, we've been accused of that, but what happens here? We have a suit out in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania when the alleged wrongful conduct occurred at the Bankruptcy Court of Minnesota. And that's one of the concerns that was expressed so, by did, these courts. Did the other side seek any damages from you under 303I in the Bankruptcy Court? They did. They brought a motion. What did the judge rule on that, that it's not available? That's where the bankruptcy judge said, based on her interpretation of 303. That order appeal? It was not. And that's an important point. It was not appealed. That was the June 10th, 2000. That's attached to our addendum. That was a June 10th, 2020 okay. hearing. 
I don't need any more. I just wanted to know okay. if it was appealed. You're oh. saying it was not appealed. It, it was not appealed. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Nashville. Thank you, Your Honors. Ms. Connors. Thank you, Your Honors. Use your time, but we'll give you a minute. Thank you. I will just briefly respond. First, to the question of, of whether there's an appeal. Section 305 does not allow an appeal to a court of appeals or the Supreme Court by its very language. It's 305C. Oh, I was talking about the 303I motion. Sure, and the judge there... She she held I don't I didn't have jurisdiction and so I can't issue any damages. It was a continuation of 305. She basically declined jurisdiction yet again, and to my mind that's not appealable. Um, there was much just much. I don't understand that. No, but go ahead. Yeah, okay, that made no sense at all. And besides which, it didn't. It wasn't appealed. There is no appeal to a court of appeals or Supreme Court under 305. That it couldn't be appealed is, is just hypothesis. Well, Your Honor, she held she didn't accept jurisdiction. To my mind, the doors of the bankruptcy court were closed. She declined jurisdiction and said, I cannot give you any relief here. And the, the language of 305C says that is not appealable to the court of appeals or Supreme Court. I was thinking if, if you said, well, we're entitled to damages under 303I because the court dismissed a petition, a 303 petition. But, but there was, yeah. If she didn't allow that, then you could have appealed that order, couldn't you, to the BAP or to the district court? I don't think so, Your Honor. She declined jurisdiction, and 305 is not limited. It was error. You could have said it was error for her to refuse jurisdiction over your 303I motion. Your Honor, it wasn't because it... It mitigated the damages. There, here is where the problem here is we have a petition that was so wrongfully brought that we shouldn't have been in bankruptcy court whatsoever. And the bankruptcy court recognized that and stopped the bleeding. Right, but, but doesn't 303I give you a remedy? No, because it can only be cases dismissed under 303. Well, it depends how you read 303I. If you read it the way that Mackey court read. Well, Your Honor. It refers only to dismissal of a petition that was filed under 303, which this was. And I, I disagree with that. And moreover, the, agree with. with that interpretation, and I think the Third Circuit in Rosenberg has the correct analysis here. Miles, even, in the Ninth Circuit recognized that the bankruptcy code and its legislative history are silent on whether Congress intended USC 303I to be provide exclusive basis, but it stopped the analysis but the there. Plaintiffs and Rosenberg were non-debtors, right? And to my mind, Mr. Sturzberg is a non-debtor. He should not have been in bankruptcy court. There is an analogy there that oh, he was. Come on. Well, he was. Good. It was an improper. Know, that doesn't pass the chuckle test. Well, he was brought into bankruptcy court improperly. There weren't the right number of creditors. There wasn't the right jurisdiction. None of this. And the bankruptcy court recognized it. Sandberg wasn't there. She, there was just no, she voice, did, but she, re she rejected jurisdiction. And the bankruptcy code allows that. It allows the bankruptcy court to say this isn't the proper forum. But that can never preclude all remedies going forward. Thank you, Ms. Connors. Thank you.